Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes, the preacher. And the preacher is going to give us a message tonight. He's given us a description of vanity or life without God. The vanity of living for pleasures and self and the vanity that all the world has to offer. He's challenged the young to live for the Lord during their youth. And now he goes and gives this wonderful explanation of the importance of the Word of God and preaching. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. In case you haven't heard it the many other times he has said it, and I did not count them, he wants to make sure you still understand all is empty. Again, this is apart from God. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the master of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished of making of many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. That is every college student's life verse. But what I want us to examine tonight, again, is the importance of preaching. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Anytime you are sharing the Word of God with somebody else, you are preaching the good news. Now, you may not be a pastor, you may not be doing it publicly as I am tonight, but we all should be in that definition, preachers of the Word of God. And so when we are going to present the eternal truths of God's Word to an eternal soul, that is a responsibility that is not to ever be taken lightly. There is a great responsibility that goes because remember, you are now taking the very Word of God and not just reading it to the listener, but you are now taking it upon yourself to explain what God himself said. It is amazing to me how flippant some people take the word of God. We are in, Charlie, Josh, and I were talking just a little bit before the service. The three of us have been in some meetings recently listening to candidates, and it is amazing during campaign season how all of a sudden they turn into Christians. Can't remember what church they go to. Don't know the last time they've been to church and couldn't quote a lick of scripture. And halfway through their speech, I've had this happen already. They claim to love God so much and halfway through the speech use his name in vain. Really shows me how much they really love him. We've seen it, haven't we? <laughs> One guy the other night claimed that he could walk on water. Jesus Christ did that. Peter was the only one, not deity, who had the privilege of doing so because he was willing to get out of the boat. But anyhow, that's a different message. So three things regarding preaching that I want us to see in this passage. First, we're going to know the, notice the preparation of the message. We'll see that in verses 9 and 10. Then in verse 11, we're going to see the purpose of the message. And then we're going to take the two bookends, if you will, verses 8 and 12, to see our third point, the perpetuity of the message. Aren't you glad that when we preach the Word of God, it is an eternal message? So let's ask the Lord for His guidance, please. Father, I pray as we go through this passage this evening that again you give wisdom, and Lord, teach us and help us, Lord, to 
understand the importance of preaching. And then, Lord, as we open your word for others, help us to understand the responsibility and privilege that we have to do so. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, you can apply this message not only in your sharing the word of God with others, which is a wonderful application, but also, now, not so much tonight, because I hope you all plan on staying here a while, but we are in a very transient church where people come and go on a very frequent basis. One of the criteria upon which you should judge a church, if you will, is this a church in which we should be members of, is do they truly preach the Word of God? And I would hope, I would like to think that you can tell there's time spent in the study by the, by the content of the message. I know when I hear preaching, sometimes it seems like, how many have ever heard the guy who will read the passage and then he goes to preaching, right? And I've even heard him say that. They read the passage, then they go to preaching. I'm not sure what that means, but here's what it usually sounds like. I go to storytelling about everything I've ever done for my life. Preaching is, is expounding on the Word of God. I did honestly have one preacher who visited here who told me afterward, he says, Jim, your problem is you use too much scripture in your preaching. I said, I'm not even sure what that means. Because I thought that the authority was not our own, it is God's. And if you don't have a verse to back it up, if you don't have Bible to back it up, why bother saying it? He goes, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. You just need to have more stories. So I let this gentleman preach. And... I, I didn't, but I wanted to go to him and say, you know what your problem is? You have too little scripture in your preaching. <laughs> but verse 9, it says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise. Now, obviously Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, had great wisdom. But a preacher is to exercise wisdom. Now, I am glad that the wisdom I need to have is not my own, but it's God's. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, I fall in that category. Let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So we need to understand true wisdom comes from God. And so the preacher must draw close to God and walk with him in order to lead others. Now, for one who's in the position of a pastorate, that is an obvious mandate to walk with God. But you know what? Unfortunately, I have a flesh too, and there's been times I've been in the flesh. But you know why it's important to walk with God? Because I never know when that phone's going to ring and somebody says, Preacher, I need some help. And so if it's important for the pastor, should it not be important for all of us to walk with God? But he continues, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Teach people knowledge. I'm having an opportunity. I'm not going to give you their names because they haven't announced their candidacy yet. And one is still praying about whether they're going to actually run or not. But two individuals said that they're considering running, knowing that I'm not, for city commissioner. And they said, would you be willing to give us your time to teach us what it means to be a commissioner. Well, that's a, quite a privilege and a responsibility. But I love teaching. I love teaching them. Last night was great. I love teaching the Bible Institute. I hope it comes across that I love teaching. 
and in Sunday school, and truthfully, even in preaching, there's still a lot of teaching. We even had a debate one time in school, not really a debate, but a talk about what's really the difference between teaching and preaching. And we came up with all kinds of ideas, and you know what? There's good teaching and there's good preaching, and we need both. So we're just going to move on. But a teacher is one of the qualifications of a pastor. In 1 Timothy 3.2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Have you ever heard somebody who can't teach? If you haven't, go to some of these universities, or, or I'll take you to some of these school government classes. One of the commissioners, he, he has this saying, he goes, if you can't do it, you teach. Okay, that's not always true, but some of the times when you hear some of these people trying to teach, it's like, yeah, you couldn't do it the real thing, so you're here teaching it. Somebody who is teaching, who is not excited about their material, but as they're teaching, our first point today will be, and it's like, you know, if you're not excited about what you're teaching, don't expect me to get excited about it. Or teachers who don't know the content of what they're supposed to be teaching. And one thing I really appreciated when I went to college at Ambassador was that we were taught by men who actually were in ministry. We didn't have an academician who went to school and went and got a doctorate and then all of a sudden ends up in a classroom teaching you how to be a pastor when he never stood in a pulpit. You know the beauty of it was the average, the average ministry of the staff, I think was like 25 years in ministry before they were teaching. That brought a lot of practical knowledge. And that's what really should be teachers. As a matter of fact, you ever study in, in the Levitical law how that the Levites, up to age 30, were training for the work of the tabernacle? They did the work in the tabernacle from what? 30 to 50. And after 50, what did they do? Teach the younger. There's some wisdom in that. Of course there is. God set it up, right? But you do get, as you get older, you get tired of the fight. But the preacher must be a diligent student of the word. Let's continue on. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Good heed to weigh, to test, to prove. Listening to God in his own life because he is to be the example. And observing people. One thing in... Now going on, well, this year, the end of this year will be 14 years of ministry. I become a people watcher. I used to sit in a car when I was younger, back before every door was automatic, and used to sit there when Dad would run into the store and watch how many people would pull on a push door and push on a pull door. Remember doing that as a kid? You know, because people wouldn't ever really pay attention or whatever. But I've always watched people, but I watch them in a different way now, and that is learning to understand you know, if you pay attention to people, you many times you can tell when they're hurting, when something's going on in their life, when they're not normal. They're not themselves. But we should learn to observe people. But it says to weigh and test and prove. So we need to take the Word of God and rightly divide the Word of truth. And then Solomon says we are to, again, verse 9, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed and sought out. That has the idea of search, investigate, explore. Dig out the facts. So I was taught a method of homiletics 
which is how to put together a sermon that truthfully takes a lot of time and a lot of study and a lot of effort. So if you're preaching a passage, the first thing you should do, at least what I was taught, and, and, and I'm not saying you have to do this every time you read a passage, okay? But if you're going to prepare a lesson, here's some, le- some principles you could apply in preparing. First thing to do is to what everybody loves, and that is diagram the sentence. Now, if it's one of those Pauline sentences that went on for seven verses and you're wondering, how does that not mark down as a run-on sentence? We were given a different way to diagram, and I'm not going to show you. It was not the normal hangman system, but it was a different way to diagram that actually makes it a lot easier. Because basically what you're looking for is going by phrases and clauses that modify, which, which, what do they modify as you go through the sentence? And if you're looking at me like, what does modify mean? We're talking way back in English class when you weren't paying attention. But don't worry about it, okay? <clears throat> but then after that, what I was taught is then you go through and define your words in English and then go back as much um, knowledge as you have of the original languages, which mine is limited, but I have some helps to go back and try to... Now, I know men who will take the whole thing in Greek and start with the Greek, if it's the New Testament, and do their own translation first, and then compare their translation to the King James and then find out where they differed and why. And, and, but there's many different methods, though, but you try to find out what, what was originally said because you're trying to figure out what did it mean to them then so you can understand what it means to us now. And then you have to apply those principles of grammar. And then you have to find, remember that obviously the Bible is not a 21st century American book. So then you have to do some study of the history so you can put it into proper content, asking questions like, who wrote it? What was the time period? What was going on in the world at that time? Who were the recipients of it? And all these questions, and this may sound quite complicated, it's really not, and I'm not trying to stand here and make it sound like, you know, it's harder than it is, but the point being is to search out and to find those words, to dig out, because did not God say he preserved his words, then is it not important to understand what those words mean? And not just what they mean to me, or how I want it to sound, but what did it mean to the writer and to the audience to whom he was writing, because that is the context in which it was written, and that's what God meant for it to be interpreted. So I need to do my best to understand it that way. That makes sense? Okay, then you compare Scripture with Scripture. So maybe you take the word and figure out where else in the Bible was this used? How was it translated? You do understand some words are translated with different English words. And and in different contexts, you get a better understanding of what those words mean. But you have to allow, as you do this study, allow the passage to speak for itself. Do not force things on the Scripture. You have to allow Scripture to speak for itself. Now, in case you haven't figured this part out, this is where the bulk of the time and sermon preparation should be. Okay, then it gets a little bit easier. It says, he sought it out, and then it says, and he set an order. Okay, so now you have pages of notes, but you can't just start reading off these copious pages of notes 
because for several reasons. Number one, there's no logical progression to it. And number two, it's way too much material that you're never going to cover in the time that we typically have for preaching. So now you have to set it in order, which means you have to arrange it in a logical fashion. Okay, so most of us preachers like to have an outline by which we go, typically three, four, sometimes more, sometimes fewer points, many times alliterated, not necessarily, doesn't have to be. But why do we do that? Why do we do that? I'll just go ahead and ask the question. Do we alliterate always because it just seems like you should always start with the same letter? Why? Orderly and easier for the listener to remember. So if I came in every time and preached a 25-point sermon, you know how much of it you're going to retain? Very little. You know why we typically stick to three? It's not because it's a magic number. It's because it's what most people can retain. Now, we don't force the Scripture into the outline. The outline will come naturally after you've done all this study. It will fit into, it'll reveal itself, and there's many ways of getting into that, and we're not going to dig that deep tonight. But once all the study is done, it must be set in a logical order so it makes sense to the audience. So I have an outline. My outlines have a title, a text, a proposition. You hear me at the beginning say you must or we must. That's my proposition. That's what I'm, my whole main point is. Then I have an introduction, and yes, I write out my introduction. And then I have my main point, sub point, sub sub points, and the highlights are help me remember where I am. And then we get to the end and I write a conclusion. You know why? Because there's not a preacher in this world, if he doesn't write out his conclusion, doesn't know how to land the thing when he gets done with it. Then verse 10. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. All right, so what does that mean? He needs to choose his words wisely. Speak the truth in love, but still speak the truth. Make sure you're getting the truth out. Don't water it down. And then you add illustrations to add light to the message, but not to replace the message. So illustrations are supposed to be, if you will, windows through which light comes upon it, and then, and then it helps the listener understand the point better. Oh, I get that. Many times people will leave remembering the illustration, not even the point, but it happens. And then <clears throat> using proper grammar, speech, and etiquette. I really try to work on using proper grammar. It is funny talking to people from the North, especially the North Midwest, and they all think a preposition is a good word to end a sentence with. I can't say I disagree, but I really try hard not to leave a dangling preposition. But back to the point with Scripture... And that's what it means here. It says, that which was written was upright, even words of truth. In other words, Dr. Comfort used to teach us this. He said, if you can't back your point up with Scripture, then it's probably not worth preaching. And I try to apply that. Hence the reason why you hear a lot of Scripture in my preaching. All right, so that is the preparation of the message. So then you put it all together, get an outline, and then you can preach it. Now, you don't have to preach off an outline because as you're sharing your faith with somebody, you know, some of you might have just a tract that has the uh, Romans road so you remember what verses to go to, right? Jonathan Edwards, who was <clears throat> used of God to preach a 
sermon that is still in print today, Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God, we're told was a monotone preacher who wrote out an entire manuscript. So, a manuscript means he literally wrote out everything he was going to say, and it said that he had a monotone voice, and he stood at the pulpit, and he literally would read his message. Yet God used that message to bring many to Christ, and many still today. So don't think that there has to be a certain method, a certain charisma, a certain whatever. What matters most is the content of what the preacher is saying. I have met, I have met preachers who stutter. I've met preachers who have speech impediments. I've met preachers who are monotone, but they have fantastic content when they stand in the pulpit. And let's not get critical of preachers. That is exactly what Corinth was doing. I like Paul because he's really intelligent. I like Apollos because he's really charismatic in his preaching. Not charismatic as in the charismatic move, but had charisma in his preaching. Well, I like, you know, and, the, and Paul's like, stop. But what are we here today? Oh, I like that evangelist. Boy, he can really skin him. He can really preach. You do realize raising the voice and getting red in the face does not equate to good preaching. Matter of fact, I forget who it was in one of our preaching classes said, when it's a weak point, just put in your notes, yell real loud, and they'll think it's important. <laughs> he was joking, of course. He said, but it seems like that's what so many preachers do. When it's a weak point, you just shout about it, and everybody thinks it's a great point. Because how many things have you heard preached that truly aren't scriptural? Now, I'm not sitting here trying to bash on other preachers. You know, and I have told you, if you find something I say that is not scriptural, please show me, because I want to be accurate. Because again, what I said earlier, that... Taking eternal truths and presenting them to eternal souls is a responsibility not to be taken lightly. And someday I'm going to stand before a holy God and give an account of what I said. And so I want it to be accurate. So what then is the purpose of preaching? Verse 11. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the master of assembly. So there's two purposes given to us, and you've heard me say this before. The first one is conviction. The goad is an instrument used to prod cattle to get them to move or turn a direction. Now, it used to be just more a pointed object. Now we have really high-tech prods that will zap them, right? You know, and, that, and all of a sudden the cow says, you know what? I don't think going my way is a good idea anymore. I think I'll go the way I was told to go. Well, so is preaching supposed to bring conviction. If you can go to a church week after week after week and there's never anything said that brings conviction, maybe you're at the wrong church. Now, I hope you don't think that here, and I'm glad you're all here tonight. Maybe this is why we're clearing out so fast. I don't know, but anyhow. Um, the Holy Spirit uses preaching of the Word to convict hearts. John 16, 8, And when He has come, He, the Holy Spirit, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Acts 2, verse 37. This is as Peter's preaching. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, one of the goals of preaching is to bring conviction. 
Now, there is a whole movement today in quote-unquote Christianity that doesn't want to preach against sin because we don't want to offend people. We're fearful they might leave the church, but we need them here to give their money. And that is the whole mentality. And so they water down. They will never point out sin. And we wonder why churches are such a mess today to where they're, they're saying it's okay for women to be preachers. As a matter of fact, it's okay for women to be men if they want. And it's okay for men to be women. And it's okay to kill babies and people who claim that they are preachers saying these things because they're scared to stand on truth or they don't know the truth or they don't know Christ at all. Acts 9, 5, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know, Jesus, when Paul, Saul, who became Paul, met Christ on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, Paul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. There's conviction in his heart. And I believe if you look in Scripture, that's Acts 9, go back two chapters, what do we find? Stephen, the first martyr, being stoned, and they took their coats and laid them down at whose feet? Saul's feet. I think the testimony of that man has such an influence on the life of Saul, he's like, there's something different. I don't understand how he could sit there so calmly, so, so boldly, still continue to stand for this Jesus and be willing to die for him. There, but I don't know. I believe that might be part of it, but I do know this much. The Holy Spirit was working on Saul and there already was conviction. And Jesus says, it's hard for you to kick against that. It's hard for you to keep kicking against that conviction, isn't it, Saul? Yet I see Christians today who will brussel up, who when they hear the preaching of the word, they know that there's something in their life that needs to change, but they refuse to get it right with God. It's hard to kick against the pricks. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, to the joints and marrow. It is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is the job of the word of God to convict. The preacher is to preach the truth as God has written it, and the Holy Spirit will use his word to do the convicting. Sometimes... And yes, we can get emotional as preachers. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what we have to be careful is that we don't generate an emotional response that needs to be a Holy Spirit conviction. Which sometimes does involve emotions. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the preaching of the cross is them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. And it changes us into the image of God. Of Christ. Now the second part of or purpose of preaching, we see in the rest of the verse, for the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the master of assembly. So we use screws today, but back then you used nails and we still use nails today, but you use nails to hold things together, to hold it in place. Once you put it in place, then you nail it there so it doesn't move. Well, that is another purpose of preaching, is to fasten the truths of God's Word in our hearts and lives. In other words, we are to be grounded in the Word of God, and sometimes preaching is encouraging us to just keep going, because keep that right where it belongs, you're doing the right thing, don't move. 2 Timothy 3.14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So, in other words, it's to give stability. 
to help us realize that, yes, this is the way I'm supposed to go. You know, that's part of the reason why we have a midweek service. Because you're getting bombarded by the world all week long, and it's nice to come in and hear the Word of God preached to help fasten down and say, no, Christian, don't stray from this. This is right. Keep on this path. So the two purposes are conviction and to fasten down the truths of God's Word in our hearts and lives. Point number three, the perpetuity of the message. Go back to verse 8. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. All that the world offers is vain. The world's philosophy, the world's humanism, the world's outlook, the world's worldview is all corrupt. It's empty. It's worthless. But then verse 11, or I'm sorry, verse 12, And further by these, my son, be admonished, of making many books there is no end. You know, Solomon says this, 3,000 years ago, that there was a lot of books. They haven't stopped writing books. Books come and books go, but I'm glad the Word of God still stands, aren't you? The world's wisdom fails and passes on. So don't weary yourself with worldly wisdom, but rather pursue godliness. Much study is weariness of the flesh. Again, Anybody who's ever been in college understands exactly what that's about, right? When you're up to who knows when, because you've got to get that, all that homework done so you can take the test the next morning. You know what I found in college? Now, understand I was older and I had a family. Is There were a couple of semesters where I tried to take some extra classes, I got less out of those than if I just went ahead and took my time and had the extra time to invest in studying. But the more I tried to cram in my head, the less it actually went in. Anybody else find that to be true? But I am thankful God's word is eternal and the message remains the same. You know why we can preach boldly? Because God, the author of the Bible, is unchanging. His word, therefore, is unchanging. And how many times have you read your Bible and you're like, wow, that's almost like reading a newspaper because it's, it's relevant today. How many times have you come to the word of God and found encouragement? You come to the Bible and God convicts you and shows you things that need to change in your life. There's so many ways which God works through his word. And Christian, you and I should be feasting on the eternal truths of the word of God. Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So the most important part of preaching is this, is realizing we can put all this time and effort into study and preparation and have a great alliterated outline, but you know what it will accomplish without the power and spirit, the power of the Spirit of God? It will accomplish absolutely nothing. And one of the things that scares me the most is if I come to this pulpit not in the Spirit of God, I have wasted your time and mine. 
Christian, this is why it's important that each of us are walking in the Spirit at all times because when you come to that opportunity that God gives you to share the gospel, are you going to be Spirit-controlled or are you going to be flesh-controlled at that moment? Yes, there is time invested into the preparation of the message. But it's time not wasted. Because the purpose of the message is to convict or to fasten down what already is what, all, uh, what truths are already being followed. But the beauty of preaching the Word of God is that the message is eternal. It's unchanging. Now, I want you to put this quickly in, the, in a few moments, and we're, then we'll take some time to pray. I want you to think about this. This whole book that we're just about ready to conclude, Solomon has been writing, Apart from God, life is empty, life is worthless. If we look at life without God, life has no meaning. But I am glad as he comes to the end and he talks about the preacher seeking out good, these, these words and, and, and talks about the preaching that he's given us right before he concludes the whole matter. He's given us a beautiful understanding that life with God is full. Living for God is abundant. Is that not what Jesus said? Is he wants us to have abundant life? And what a contrast to the vanity that we have been studying over the last several months. Is the full abundant life that we can have And so, yes, I went through a lot of detail of sermon preparation. Listen, I don't expect any of you to be putting that kind of detail in your study. But you know what? You need to be putting some type of study into the Word of God and growing in His Word, not so you can have knowledge, but so you can be closer to Him, walking in His light, being filled with the Spirit of God, being controlled by Him so that you can have an abundant, fulfilled life. Think of your memory verses. Matter of fact, they're right up there on the screen. Paul gets to the end of his life, and he's not like so many saying, oh, the regrets I have. Oh, the things I would have, should have, could have done. But listen to these words. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Wow. I want to get to the end of the course and be able to say this with Paul and not have to write a book like Solomon the preacher saying, listen, I tried it and it was all empty. It was chasing soap bubbles. So learn from my example. Don't do what I did. That's essentially what this whole book is all about. So Christian, let's learn from the example of Solomon and not do what he did.